Father in heaven, we're thankful once again to be here. And as we just had that scripture reading, saying that you will have a banner to gather people under, and it comes from Jesse's line. Lord, we know, Jesus, that that's talking about you. And so today, as we consider the topic of being under the Lord's banner, help us when we leave this place to clearly and decidedly be upon your side, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you are facing an oncoming army that outnumbers you, that has better weapons than you, better armor than you, and your sole anchor of trust and hope is an elderly man standing up on a hill with his hands in the air holding a staff. Can you imagine being there, marching into a battle, and looking back and seeing Moses upon the hill there with his arms up, and you're Joshua, and now you're facing the Amalekites before you, wondering to yourself, Lord, please, are you going to help us here today? Well, he had been told by Moses to go forth. And so as I imagine being Joshua, join me in my sanctified imagination. Standing there, the battle lines have been drawn. Yes, we are outnumbered. Yes, we are outgunned in the sense that they have better weaponry than we do. But I see the outstretched arms of Moses reaching up to the throne of heaven in prayer. And the wooden staff in his hand that had been evidence of deliverance before. And now, it's evidence of deliverance again. I see him holding up his two hands, and as we rush into the battle, shouting the battle cry, we begin to drive the enemy back. But then, sometime later, we begin to experience defeat ourselves. And I look up to the hill, and I see Moses, and his hands have dropped. Quickly, I start to rally the troops. I keep looking up to the hill, and I see them a stool underneath Moses. Two people are now holding up his hands and we resume the battle and become victorious. Not because of Moses, but because of the God that he was praying to. And as we exit the battlefield victorious that day, we all chant the cry, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Now if you could use your sanctified imagination and picture Joshua having memories like that, having victories like that, and then now he is facing the flooding Jordan River alone. Moses' hands, the hands that held up the staff, have fallen permanently to his resting place. Moses, the one who was there comforting Joshua and eventually laid those hands upon him, anointing him for ministry and setting him apart, are no longer there to comfort and encourage him. And he faces obstacles that he has never faced before. You ever been there? facing things you'd never faced before, facing situations that you wonder, Lord, where is your wisdom in this? How can I go forward and face this? Imagine there's Joshua with the the numbers of Israelites behind him, but he has to lead them across the Jordan. And not only that, he has to face new obstacles. But that victory still echoes in his mind. Those words through Moses, be strong and courageous, still echo in his mind. Now as he faces the flooding Jordan River, the soldiers across this river are at least in the Bronze Age, and some believe that because of the Philistines, they have new shipments of the most modern weapons. Not only that, but their cities have three-layered walls. Outer wall, 
and three layers, that's in three layers high. An inner wall of Jericho is estimated to be another obstacle to conquering the city. And so Joshua faces new circumstances, new trials. And maybe the question would come to my mind at that time. We don't have it recorded for Joshua. Am I still under the Lord's banner? Is He still going to give victory today? That's where we pick up in Joshua chapter 1. And if you question as to whether Joshua might have had some anxiety, then look at Joshua chapter 1 and see how many times he is told, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Four times. And those are not the first times that Joshua has been told that. He was told by Moses at least on one other occasion. And so here we find in chapter 1 the encouragement that he needs to lead the people into circumstances he has never faced before. And I believe we will find the encouragement we need to allow the Lord to lead us through circumstances we have never faced before. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... That's a pretty important factor here. You find Joshua starts off this book pointing out Moses has died. Why is that important? Because now the leadership falls upon him. And yes, he has been in the promised land as a spy. Yes, he has been in the wilderness. Yes, he has seen miracles and he has witnessed God's deliverance. But now he faces it as the leader. And it's a little different when you are at the front versus being just in the ranks with following Moses. Now, the burden of a responsibility falls upon him. And he needs encouragement from the Lord. It says the Lord didn't just leave him alone. It says the Lord said to Joshua, said to Joshua. That means they are on speaking terms. That him and the Lord, even though there are troubles befalling him, they know each other. And not only does he hear it from the, the, the writings of Moses, the law of Moses that were written down that God said, especially make sure Joshua hears these words. Not only does he hear it from those written words, but God himself comes to Joshua and speaks to his friend. These very words that we are going to read. It's one thing to have the written words and to believe by faith there are words from God. We all believe that. But also God at times will come to you and say, word of encouragement to you. Are you on speaking terms with the Lord? If you are, it's almost evidence that you're under the Lord's banner. If you are a little bit nervous by that, and at times we could be, it makes me wonder, am I under the Lord's banner? It's one thing for me to talk to Him in prayer, but am I open to Him conversing with me in those deepest moments and those struggles? Joshua was, and it says, the Lord talks to him, says to, Moses, to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, or his prime minister, as some translate, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you, you set your foot, as I promised Moses. I, he's reiterating the promise here and saying, you need to take steps forward. Every place you place your foot, you will be victorious and you will be given that land. Question, I guess, from the text is, Joshua, are you going to take steps forward? Are you going to move forward or not? Well, as he continues describing this promise, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country. Imagine these marching orders. Joshua, you're going to go up against some of the best militaries of your day. 
and win. You're going to go up against the Hittites, who were known for the three-man charioteer battles that they waged and almost pretty much obliterated the Egyptian kingdom or empire. You're going to go up against them in battle and win. And not only that, you're going to go all the way over, it says here, not just to the Hittite country where the Euphrates is and extended all the way over, but to the great sea on the west. Who lives on the great sea on the west? The Philistines. That seafaring band of, of travelers who found their way over to the western coast there because of a volcano, some believe. But there they are with their new weaponry, with their not only just landlocked weaponry, but they have trade routes because of their ships. And they're able to gather the latest. You're going to even go up against them and defeat them. They're giants. They're mighty warriors. They're huge cities. All the way to the western sea. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every step of the journey, I will be with you. Isn't that an encouraging promise from the Lord? You're like, Lord, I want you to be with me right now in this situation. This step of the journey seems particularly slippery and perilous. Lord, please be with me. Now, and he comes back and says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's something you can take to the spiritual bank, if you will, and trust God. He has never failed before. I remember uh, there was an evangelism teacher. He said that when you're at a church, you know, there's certain leadership things that you have to, to, to do sometimes that aren't always popular. And you, but over time, you, you build up this bank of trust, right? And... Over time, people know that you love the Lord and, and they can trust you, and, but eventually there's some times where you make a decision where they just don't see where you're going with it. But they're trusting you, but it takes a hit on your bank of trust. That's a human analogy, isn't it? Can you imagine the God of the universe who has a bank of trust? He has never lost a battle. He has never went gone astray or gone wrong or made a bad decision. And he's telling you to trust him? Can you trust him? There, there's no hit on his bank of trust. There is no reason not to trust God with whatever we're facing right now in our lives. If he can come to Joshua, standing on the banks of the flooding, muddy Jordan River that's a mile wide in spots, and he tells him to go across this muddy Jordan River with all his troops, then surely such an impossible feat like that being accomplished should encourage us that whatever impossible feat we have in front of us can be accomplished as well. And so... Now begins the series of Be Strong and Courageous. And as I look at these Be Strong and Courageous statements, they're, in essence, God says later, they're commands to you. These are your orders, soldier. Be strong and courageous. You already have the plan there, where you're going to go and what you're going to conquer. Now, here's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it under my banner. And this is how you'll know you're under my banner. Look at here in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land. It's not Moses who's doing it, Joshua. It's you today. You're going to move forward and help them inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. And so here's the very first idea. Okay, do I trust God's promise that when years ago he said that you're going to conquer all of this land, that it's still true today? You can be strong and courageous and know that you're under His banner when you decide to trust His promise. It may have been given years ago, but it's still true.
the day. If I'm trusting Him, and that's one indicator that I know that I'm under His banner. That He will give me victory. And the next one in verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Notice it said courageous. Now it's like very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. We want success. We want prosperity. But it comes in obedience to God. Do we truly believe that His law is so good that Jesus would go to the cross and die to preserve it? To uphold it? To pay our penalty for sin? And to still uphold His law at the same time? To be merciful and just at the same time? That's exactly what was being taught in the Old Testament. If you truly believe God is merciful and just, then how is it affecting your life today? When you leave this building, what difference does it make that you've spent time focusing on His Word? When you go home and you spend that time in the morning or in the evening, whichever, if you're a night owl or whatever, what does it do for you in your heart and life? Does it change you? It's supposed to. Because here, he says, be strong and very courageous. You'll know you're taking the right steps because you are obeying my law. It's not because it's saving you, but because it's showing that each step of the journey, even down to your finite details of your life, you're trusting me. That horse is unclean, and I know you want to eat it along with the skunk, but trust me, it's unclean. Don't eat it. Right? I mean, that makes sense. We don't want to eat the skunk. That's down to our refrigerator, isn't it? And if God's not interested in all those little details, then why did we have it still recorded all the way down through time, all the way down to the time of Peter, where he says, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And so we find he was down to the finite details of her life, saying, would you trust me with this? Can you imagine not only that, but you have these written things written down for you that point you to him. How does that point me to him? It points me to him because I'm trusting him as my creator to know what's best for my body. Isn't that simple? I set aside the seventh day, and you say, yeah, you preach and you work and you're visiting people. Yeah, I can be busy on the Sabbath, but for me, mentally, this is a day with the Lord, and a lot of times He does allow me that rest on this day. My rest starts on Friday night. Maybe yours starts today, but mine starts on Friday night, and, and I have a nice rest, and I get up and I have a nice morning, and then I come here and I get to share from the Word of God and be fed by it as I'm sharing it. I mean, isn't this wonderful? But the world says, keep going on with your business interests, keep going on and doing this thing, go shopping, and the latest fad is to go out to eat on the Sabbath, make your manservant and maidservant work for you. I mean, come on, guys. This is a day for the Lord. And I trust that He set aside this time as the Creator. He knows what He's doing. He knows I need the rest, and He also knows that we could eventually begin to change our whole society around us if we would truly rest in Him. They would all be pointed to Jesus who died upon the cross, rested in the tomb on the Sabbath, was resurrected. Every week we get to experience His salvation on this day by not striving like the world does, but by trusting Him fully as our Creator. And so you think of the law of Moses. I mean, it's just so much packed in there. Joshua, keep trusting me all the way down to the finite details, all the small details of your life. And so he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law 
that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. How much time does it take for you when you spend time with the Lord in the Word of God before you're ushered into His throne room? You just feel the atmosphere of grace just, Ellen White talks about, pouring over you. Oh, it takes me about 10 minutes. And I am right there in the throne room of the Lord. And this says, meditate upon God's Word day and night. Spend time digesting it. Spend time allowing it to change you. Not just for a list's sake, but for the sake of, Lord, I want to follow You every step of this journey. Please instruct me. Please guide me. You've loved me so much. Surely I can love You back. And so we find meditating upon it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Can you imagine Joshua standing there upon the banks of the Jordan or somewhere nearby? Maybe he's bowed down with cares and prayer. He's in prayer and he's realizing Moses is dead and all these enemies are across the Jordan. And God comes to him with these words of encouragement and says to him, I'm with you always. Don't worry about it, son. Not only that, not only that, but you have all that land across the Jordan. And furthermore, all the way to the east. I've promised it. If you're under my banner, I've promised it. And then here, be careful to obey everything I've commanded you. Be very strong and courageous. Not only that, you're under my banner if you truly trust me with your life. But the third thing he says here, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or anxious. Maybe he was anxious, right? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. That's the second time His presence has been mentioned. It's almost like two bookends here. You've got one at the beginning of the chapter, and then here down through the few verses, you have another bookend. And in between is the content. But here are the bookends. How are you going to obey my law? How are you going to conquer the land? Only through God's presence. And when you talk about God's presence, do you know when He enters your room? Do you know when He enters your heart? Some people don't like to talk about God's presence sometimes. But when I'm sitting there in my study and I'm opening my heart to heaven and this sense of joy and peace and love flood my soul, I know I can be in no other room than the throne room of the majesty of heaven. His presence is what enables me to leave that room in my house and to face life. And that's what he's telling Joshua. You're going to leave and go across that Jordan River under my banner because I am with you always. And if I was Joshua at that point, maybe that whole battle with the Amalekites would have flooded my mind. I don't know. Maybe some of these memories of the past where he said be strong and courageous would have flooded my soul. I want to look at one of them with you. Keep your, foot, your, your finger there in Joshua. Go back to Exodus 17. And young people, this is your FBI answer. We're going to start at Exodus 17, verse 8. I'm going to take a closer look at this one battle that took place because it links Joshua and his experience and him being under the Lord's banner and trusting the Lord to our day. You'll wonder how that is, but we'll see it in a moment here. Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Exodus 17, verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This is a whole other sermon, but the staff of God is that staff at the Red Sea. It's that staff that was back in Pharaoh's palace. That's the staff, and it's just a physical reminder of God's presence. Just like this banner over here, just like this church building. It's just a place we come. It's a reminder physically of God's presence. There's nothing magical about it. And so the staff of God, the staff that God has used to remind you. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, Exodus 17, verse 10. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went on to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, and you can imagine him there with the the wood in his hands, outstretched arms, holding them up in the air. I mean, hold your hands up for half an hour and see if you're tired. Imagine a whole battle taking place. He held up his hands. As he held them up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. You imagine being in the army and looking up and seeing Moses over there. What's he doing over there? He's praying to the Lord of heaven, isn't he? And as you see him praying to the Lord of heaven, you surge into the battle. And then something begins to happen. You begin to experience defeat. And you look up and his hands are down. I mean, obviously they must have seen it because it's recorded here. And it's not just from Moses' standpoint either. Imagine being the troops and watching Moses' hands grow tired. And they took a stone then, when Moses' hand grew tired, and put it under him, and he sat on it. That'll come in handy later when we get to Matthew, where where we find defeat is taking place, but then a stone is put there and somebody sits on it. We'll find it later on in Matthew. So tuck that away. And so his hands grew tired. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. He's not just going like this. His hands are like this. One on one side, one on the other. Outstretched arms. On top of a hill with a piece of wood and a stone that he sits on. And then it says, Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. I mean, imagine there you are in Joshua chapter 1 facing the flooding rivers and the river of Jordan and God had told you before through Moses, Joshua, make sure you listen to this. Make sure you hear this. This must have been one of the battles that stood out in Joshua's mind. It must have flooded his memory as the Jordan River was flooding over there and he was facing enemies beyond. It must have come to him and he must have realized wait a minute, God has given me victory in the past, and now he's telling me, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous again. Write it down, make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. Hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And so we find a battle scene took place here. One that probably echoed down to where Joshua is now facing new enemies. And he remembers, I am still under the Lord's banner. Let me lift my hands up to the throne of God in prayer. What does that have to do with us? Well, I came across an interesting quotation. This is found in a compilation of Ellen White's writing. It's called Beginning of the End. It talks about how Joshua was a little bit anxious when the faithful leader Moses had passed away. 
Joshua was now the recognized leader of Israel, courageous, persistent, not thinking of himself, and above all, inspired by a living faith in God. This was the kind of man God chose to lead the armies of Israel. Courageous, yet he's being told to be courageous. What's happening to Joshua? Something is making him feel nervous. Something ahead of him he has never faced before. He acted as a prime minister to Moses, and by his quiet, sincere faithfulness, his firmness when others hesitated, his determination to keep the truth in the middle of danger, he had shown his fitness to be the next leader after Moses. Joshua looked, however, looked to the work before him with great anxiety. But the assurance of God removed his fears. Joshua knew that whatever God would command, he would make a way for his people to carry it out. Just as he had done in the past, Joshua is now facing the enemy in the future, and he is remembering, I am still under the Lord's banner. And that's why, as you go back to Joshua chapter 1, that's why you find these words written in verse 10. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. So with all of that in mind, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here, right here at the flood stage level. I don't know how wide the river was there, but more than likely there are spots we know at flood stage that reach a mile wide. Can you imagine getting your troops and your people across a mile wide flooding river? Not like the Platte River in Nebraska that's just uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. But we're talking about a flood stage river. Because even the Platte River can be a mile wide and at flood stage it can be just horrendous to take you right down its current. I was going to do a baptism in the Platte River and as I looked out there at the flooding waters I thought to myself, this must have been like the muddy Jordan River when Joshua was facing. It was just overflowing and it was wide and it was just this huge current. And I thought, well I'm not taking a little a teenage boy down, not a teen, an early teen down there in that water and get swept away with him and be literally into our spiritual and physical deaths. And so imagine facing a river like that, and now Joshua's saying, we're going to cross it right here. Get everything ready. We're still under the Lord's banner. He has spoke to me today. We are going across this river. And so Lord is giving you your own land. And then he talks to the Reubenites and the Gadites. We can record that, but down in verse 16, then they answered Joshua. They responded, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The very the fourth time in his presence is mentioned and the words of God are mentioned. Be strong and courageous. Is this a message for us today? Do we need to be under the Lord's banner? Yes. And if you doubt that this has anything to do with you, go on over to Matthew chapter 26. It's very clear that this message transcends time. It goes all the way down. It's like a banner that stretches from creation all the way down to Joshua's time and all the way down to Jesus' time and all the way down to our time. Next week, we'll look at one little thread, the scarlet thread in that with Rahab, how God would actually reach out to one person in that whole banner that he has, that he wants to cover us with. But this week, I want us to see the whole banner, that it includes us here today. Matthew chapter 26, verse 32 and onward. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. They forced him to carry the cross. So what do we have here? We have this 
Mosaic leader who's taught them upon the mountainside, who's done given them manna like Moses had given them. And now they are taking this man and they're going to place him on a hill with some wood nailed, him nailed to some wood. Outstretched arms. Any parallels to Exodus? A mosaic figure up on a hill, arms stretched out, wood present. And you keep on reading and you find he's doing what Moses did. He's crying out to the throne of God. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The whole Old Testament was pointing us to the cross and beyond. And what looked like defeat was actually the death blow for Satan. We find there he is from the cross in verse 45. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. Notice how Moses was praying till sunset. What's happening here? We find the Lord is crying out and interceding for us. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know I have to be here for them to be victorious, but I don't feel that way. He starts to grow weak, right? He dies upon that cross, crying out and giving his breath. And then something amazing happens. You go on down to chapter 26, verse 65. Pilate tells them, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. There's the stone. Remember there was a stone back in Exodus? And after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And so what we find here is almost some exact wording from that. I'm not saying it was meant to be that way, but I'm linking the two together. Man with outstretched arms up on a hill, crying out to God, attached to wood for spiritual victory for his people. And then he grows weak and he dies. But that's not the end. He then is resurrected in resurrection power. The stone is rolled away. The angel sits on it. And it stands as a monument of mercy forever. And so that is the banner of God today. You read the first selected messages, page 84. It says, God calls upon us to burst the bands of our precise indoor service. What's she talking about? There's nothing wrong with having a precise order of service in an indoor worship service. She's saying that's nothing wrong with that. But God has called upon us to burst forth outside of this service. Because if this is all the spiritual content you're getting from week to week, which I doubt it is, most of you are reading, but if this was the only thing we had, it would be pretty lame as far as a church health, spiritually. And she says, God calls upon us to burst the bands of our precise indoor service. The message of the gospel is to be born in the cities and outside the cities. We are to call upon all to rally around the banner of the cross. And so it's not just my thinking that the banner of the Lord stretched all the way from there to our time today. She's still saying we all need to come under the Lord's banner. How would we do that? The same way Joshua did. Trust that He's given us the land and let's take some steps to go and pursue it. Trust that He can order our lives in a beautiful way that makes us more like Jesus by us obeying and trusting His law. And trust that He's with us always. Because in Matthew 28, What's he say? Right there in your, your Bible there, he says, Lo, I am with you always. He foresees the gospel banner going to all the world through us.
Maybe through angels as well and dreams and visions, but through us too. When this work is as done as it should be, when we labor with divine zeal to add converts to the truth, the world will see that a power attends the message of truth. The unity of the believers bears testimony to the power of the truth that can bring into perfect harmony men of different dispositions making their interests one. Hey, there's that oneness concept again. The prayers and offerings of the believers are combined with earnest, self-sacrificing efforts, and they are indeed a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Individuals are converted anew. The hand that once grasped for money and recompense and higher wages has become a helping hand of God. The believers are united by one interest. They want to make centers of truth where God shall be exalted. How many centers of truth do we have? This is one. There's a group meeting in Happy Valley. There's a group meeting in South Reading. There's got to be a group in Cottonwood eventually. There's got to be a group, I would say, groups all around the place to be centers of truth. Because not everybody you know is going to come to this building during the series of meetings we're going to have. You're going to pray that some of them will, and they will. But what about the ones who do not? How can we bring the truth to them? We must go under the Lord's banner and take it to them. And folks, I get tired of think, as I think about me just being the only one doing it. I, I know that's not going to happen. I cannot do it all. So I need your help. We're going to need people who, among you who can lead small groups. We're going to need people among you who can conduct evangelistic meetings. We're going to need people among us who can conduct those health seminars and those remedy seminars and, and ways of the right arm of the gospel. We're going to need us all working together under this beautiful banner of Jesus. And I'm just going to be here to encourage us to keep moving forward. She says, it was for this unity that Jesus prayed just before his trial, standing but a step from the cross, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The banner goes forward as we are in unity, and as we claim his promise that we can take all the land, every step of this Shasta County and beyond, as we allow him to change our lives by meditating upon his word daily, and as we trust that his presence will give us victory. And so let us remember his promise, I'm going to give you the land. Let us remember his law, for his law is precious and was upheld by the blood of Jesus. Let us remember his provision coming from his presence, that he will be with us always. Let us go forth under the banner of the cross until he comes. So the Lord has put this upon my heart to say to each one of us here, let us all start working together to take this message forward for Jesus. It's going to be tough. The way will be tough. The enemies will abound and be many. But the glory of the Lord will be worth it all as everybody sees that we're under the Lord's banner. Father in heaven, may we cast a wishful eye to the other side, but in the meantime, take the steps you'd have us to take. And soon and very soon, we will see our Father's face. Until then, keep us focused on him. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.